Well, hey, I want you all to think uh, for just a moment about this expression right here, this phrase. The phrase is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's something really good, is it not? I mean, I, I encourage people all the time. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's not enough to come from a good religious family or go to the right church or just learn all the stories about the Bible, but every single person uh, by faith needs to come into a living, daily, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I totally believe that fully. Having said that, I want you to think for a moment, what might be a little bit dangerous about a statement like that. I mean, it's not an explicit Bible statement, but I I think it's a wonderful one. But we have to be careful with this because if we're not careful, someone might think that having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ means having a private relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to make it clear today that having a personal relationship with Christ is not the same thing as having a private relationship relationship with Jesus Christ. Those are two different concepts. Now, what's the difference between them? Well, the best way I know how to explain it is like this. I want you to try to imagine or approaching the Bible and reading it as if you are going to be doing all of this by yourself. Try it sometime. Pick any page and read it as if you're going to be doing this by yourself. Because if you think about it and you read it that way, I contend the Bible will make no sense at all. The Bible only makes sense if you read it in a way that assumes we're going to be doing whatever we're doing together. Let me give you an example. Like, think about praying. We we tend to think of praying as probably one of the most personal, private, intimate of spiritual disciplines. And, And many times in my life it is. But I want you to think about the most primary instruction we're given on how to pray, the Lord's Prayer. And think of how the Lord's Prayer goes. The Lord's Prayer says, Our Oh, our Father, which art in heaven. So our basic prayer instruction begins with the assumption we're praying together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It happens on every single page. Whatever God is doing in us is in us collectively. But as Americans, and by the way, Americans are probably the most individualistic society that has ever existed, or it's got to be right up at the top. And as American Christians, we have to specifically guard against this because we tend to think in terms of how this affects us individually. And even when we read the Bible, we just start without even thinking about it. We start swapping out plural pronouns for singular ones. And we begin instantaneously reading it. How does this affect me? What is God's plan for my life? What are God's promises for my life? What is God's call upon me? And I don't want to overstress this because God does care about you personally. God has a plan for you personally. God has a call and a destiny for you personally, but everything that God has in mind for you, everything that God has in mind for me is in the context of us together. And so if you are in Christ, then you are in his body, you are a part of his family, and you belong to his church. And what that means is they can lock the doors on all of the church buildings. They may extend this quarantine until, well, I don't even want to think about that, but I mean, they can extend it, but no matter what happens for better or for worse, you can't close the church. You know why? Because we are the church and together there is no other way to be in Christ. We're either in Christ together or we're not in Christ at all. 
Now, we started this teaching series a couple of weeks ago, You Can't Close the Church, confronting shallow misconceptions about God's greatest hope for the world. Shallow misconceptions, like the church is a building that you go to. You remember? That was a first misconception out of the gate. Never in the Bible is the church ever connected with a specific building. In fact, it took 250 years before the first Christian church had its, in the world had its own dedicated building. The church is always a people you belong to, never a building you go to. Second shallow misconception, the church is an event or a service that you attend. Technically speaking, you can't attend church. You gather with the church, we say, for family reunions. Third shallow misconception, the church is like a buffet line where you just pick out all the parts you like and skip all the parts you don't. That's a misconception. Fourth misconception, the church is a person you follow, usually a a preacher or a special leader, maybe someone on TV. The church is never defined by a building, an event, services offered, or a person at the front of the parade. I, I know that people talk about the church that way, but actually, if you drill down, all of those are shallow misconceptions. Let me add this morning to our collection a fifth shallow misconception. The church is a club where you become a member. A church is something that you become a member of, kind of like a club. Now, I realize that someone biblically astute might push back on me just a little bit, and they might say, now, now, wait a minute, but doesn't Bethany Bible Church have members? They might say, if I read in my Bible, doesn't the Bible actually talk about church members? So if the Bible talks about it, if Bethany Bible Church has them, how can you say that's a misconception? Watch me here. The church does have members, but it means nothing like being the member of a club. And to grasp the difference, you've got to appreciate how that word has changed over time. So today, when we talk about um, a member, usually we mean by that a person who belongs to some group or association or club. They have met the requirements to be in the group and membership has its privileges, something like that. That's what we mean by member. But originally... The word meant a distinct but integral part of the human body. And so today we would use more precise words like maybe a limb or an extremity or even an internal organ. That is what member originally meant. So your body has a lot of parts to it. You have 78 different organs in your body. Now, some of the the big important ones you think about all the time, the brain, the lungs, the heart, and then you have more obscure organs that you never think about unless you are in the ER. Then you think about your appendix or your gallbladder. You've got more than 200 bones in your body, 600 muscles. You've got thousands of nerves, and truthfully, all of these parts are made up of many more smaller parts. There are... An amazing, mind-blowing number of parts in the human body. In fact, it was big news in the world of anatomy in 2013 when two surgeons in Belgium discovered, they discovered in 2013 a new ligament in the knee. Okay, now I'm going to admit here at this point, I know nothing about anatomy, but how is that possible that in 2013 they discovered a new ligament in the knee. I mean, we've been studying the human body. We've been dissecting it for thousands of years, and it took till 2013 for somebody to say, hey, have you ever noticed that little uh, do-jigger right there on the, on the knee? They discovered a ligament. They, they put a little flag in it and claimed it for the king of Belgium. Or, I, actually, I don't even know how, how they do it, and I don't know anything about anatomy. But I do know, and the number is actually going up, apparently, you've got an incredible number of individual parts inside your body, and you need every single one of them to work. This is what the Bible is talking about. In Christ, there is one single body that is made up of many 
members or parts. Now, this was a concept that the Apostle Paul was very passionate about. He was saying that just as the physical body of Jesus of Nazareth, literally for 33 years, was the expression of the ministry of Christ here on planet Earth, today the body of Christ, every single believer in him, joined and fitted together, we are the manifest expression of Jesus. Preston, I think that's what you were talking about just a minute ago. Where our feet go is where Jesus is going. What, where... where who our hands touch, that is the touch of Jesus, the manifest expression, the words of truth that we speak, the grace that we extend. We are the body, the physical expression of Jesus manifest today here on planet Earth. Paul was very passionate about this idea. He spoke of it often. Couple examples. Examples. Romans twelve four. He said, "For just as each of us has one body with many members, individual parts, and these members do not all have the same function, so also in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." That's why he says every part must play their part for the full effective functioning of the body. Ephesians chapter 1, another example, verse 20, Paul says, Christ has been raised far above all rule and authority over all power and dominion, and he has appointed Christ to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We are the body. And Christ is the head of the body from whom the whole body, joined and fitted together, supplied in every way, is growing into everything that God has called us to be. Paul returned to this theme that we are the body often. But his most famous words on the body of Christ are found in 1 Corinthians, which is where I would like you to look in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. So if you're at home, get your Bible out, your mobile device, however you get to God's Word, get it in front of you. I want to tell you about it, but it's so important. I want you to see this for yourself. Now, this message was one in particular that the Corinthian church needed to hear. The message that you can't be connected to Christ while disconnected from each other. You may have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but that does not authorize you to have a private relationship with Jesus Christ. And the church in Corinth definitely needed this message because they were a congregation that was plagued by relational disconnectedness. They were divided by personalities their favorite leaders and teachers. They were divided by their preferences. They were divided by their personal conscience matters over debatable issues of conscience. They were divided by their own interpersonal quarrels with one another. If there ever was a church that was, dis that was plagued by relational disconnectedness, the first church at Corinth was that church. And from several different angles, Paul tries to emphasize the point, Christ is something we share. In chapter 10, for instance, if you look back just a couple chapters, Paul points out to their discredit, their self-centered manner of eating when they potlucked together and gathered around the Lord's table. He writes in chapter 10 and verse 16, he says, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing? In the blood of Christ. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. He's saying Christ is something that you share in together. And you should celebrate this whenever you eat together by eating family style. Now, you know what I'm talking about, right? When you go to the restaurant, most restaurants, you, you know, they serve you your entree. This is what you ordered. This is what you ordered. But sometimes there's an option, you know, a barbecue or something. They say, or we can do it family style and we can just bring you one thing and then you can all share together. And that's the moment of truth. When you look at the people across the table from you and you think to yourself, 
how comfortable do I feel with these people? Because, you know, I mean, am I comfortable doing family stuff? Because sometimes it's like, yeah, I think I'll just do my own entree. Thanks. But, but it depends on how comfortable um, you are. When, um, when I was in uh, Brooklyn a couple years ago, some uh, friends of mine, a, a pastor by the name of Edwin, we were there on Flatbush Avenue. I mean, downtown Brooklyn. We went to Junior's Cheesecake. Anybody ever been to Junior's Cheesecake? Most famous cheesecake in the world. So we had, had lunch, and there's eight or nine of us, you know, and, and when we're done, we get eight or nine different kinds of, of cheesecake. And, uh, and when it comes, Edwin goes, hey, by the way, so like uh, Puerto Ricans, we eat off other people's plates. And so we're all going to be eating off each other's plates. So if you're not comfortable with that, um, this next part's going to be really hard for you because we're just, we're, we're eating family style, see? Everybody gets it, but everybody's sharing. So, um, and, and, and I made it through that. But anyway, that's, that's the point. He's saying when we eat, we eat family style. You know why? Because Christ is something we share. It's not buffet line style where you get your favorite parts. So he says when you eat together, you should actually display that. Family style, but then he says in chapter 11, but to your shame, your discredit, what they're telling me is that when you come together to eat, there are divisions among you, and I can see it in the way you eat. While one person is scarfing down their own entree, another person is hungry and has nothing to eat, and he says, You need to wait for one another and you need to share with each other because, after all, there is an abundance for all, but the sacrifice of Christ is something that we need to share in together. Christ is something that we share. Chapters 10 and 11, it's family style grace. The spirit is something that we share. And this is where 1 Corinthians chapter 12 comes in. And I know we read a part of this a little while ago. I want to back up and I want to read through it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and beginning in verse 12. I'll read along, but follow in your Bible as well. I want you to hear these words. He says, just as the body, though one, has many members, parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the members in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now, if they were all one member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its members should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, Every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's a pretty memorable passage of scripture. It's pretty, pretty famous. I would say picturing us as the body of Christ as different parts of the physical body and arguing amongst ourselves about whether or not we were or were important in the body. So the eye can't say to the hand, who needs you anyway? The head can't say to the feet, who needs you anyway? Everybody needs everybody doing their unique part. Now it turns out that story wasn't quite as original as it might strike us in our day. And all of Paul's readers would have immediately 
understood this. It wasn't so much that Paul was inventing a new picture as he was taking a very famous, well-known, familiar picture of how much we all need each other and turning that picture on its head. It was quite well-known. Now here, let me illustrate what I mean. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a series of common expressions, and I want you to finish it with the final word, okay? So those of you who are here, those of you who are at home, you play along too, okay? I'm going to give the expression. You supply the final word. Let's see how you do. Pride comes before a... Look before you... Birds of a feather flock... Honesty is the best... A bird in the hand is worth two in the... And finally, don't count your chickens before they... Not bad, especially working together. Now, here's it. All of those quotations come from the same source. Does anyone know where all those... You know all those expressions. Do you know where they all came from? No, they're not biblical. They... What's that? Uh, you have a face mask on. I can't hear a thing you're saying. <laughs> I, think I, know what, I think I know what you're saying. They all come from something called Aesop's Fables. Have you heard that? Isn't that amazing? All those expressions that we can still click off today. Aesop's Fables, they came from like 2,500 years ago. Famous stories that you still know today. They all came from that, like the tortoise and the hare. There you go. Aesop's Fables, the little boy who cried wolf. The goose that laid the golden egg, the wolf in sheep's clothing, all of that comes from the same collection of morality tales from like 2,500 years ago. So this was actually centuries before Paul's time, but still very close to it. Now, think if those stories and expressions are still well known today, you can hardly imagine how incredibly famous they were in Paul's Now, here's why I take the time to tell you that. Among this most famous collection of morality tales or or fables ever in the history of the world, there was a well-known story called The Belly and the Members. Did you know that? One of Aesop's fables is called The Belly and the Members. And everyone would have known exactly how that story went. It went like this. One day it occurred to the members of the body that they were doing all the work while the belly enjoyed all the food. So they held a meeting and decided to strike until the belly consented to its proper share of the work. For a day or two, the hands refused to take the food and the mouth refused to receive it and the teeth had no work to do. After a day or two, the members began to find that they themselves were in poor condition. The hands could hardly move, and the mouth was parched and dry, while the legs were unable to support the rest. It turns out that the belly was doing necessary work for the body, and all must work together to do their part, or the body will go to pieces. Very famous story. They would have all known it. Now, here's the interesting thing about the original story, the background of the fable. It was told by Morenius Agrippa, we're told, who was a well-known, famous Roman government official. And the backstory to the fable is that there was an insurrection brewing in Rome because the underclasses were getting tired of doing all the work, all the wars they had to fight, all the tax money they had to raise so that they could support the lavish lifestyles of the Roman rulers, and they were organizing a revolt. So Marinius Agrippa told this fable, and the belly represented the Roman rulers who it seemed like just consumed all the good things that the body members, the body parts, worked so hard to deliver to them. So the original moral of the story according to Marinius Agrippa, was that the belly was truly essential and that all the other parts of the body needed to remember their place and continue to work hard to keep the belly in, quote, proper and decent grandeur because supplying to the belly was in fact important to the health of the whole body. The moral of the original story was that the lower class person the less honored person, must remember how important it is to serve and support the one of greater honor. 
So the people in Paul's time were well familiar with the story about the members of the body arguing about whether or not they really needed each other. This they had heard before, but Paul takes this morality tale, this fable, and he turns it on its head. And in in his dramatic retelling here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uses a story to make a point about radical equality in the body of Christ. And in fact, it is those who appear to be weaker. It is in fact those who are less honored, who are actually most essential, who are in this body given more abundant honor and around whom the body must rally. Earlier on in this letter, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, For God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world to shame the things which, to shame the things which are honored. The things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. This is the theme of the entire book. This is who God chooses for his body. We are one body. Individually, we are members of this body. And every single member is essential, especially the weaker, the less honored, the less presentable. You see, it was a famous story dramatically retold with a completely different point. This time about stunning equality among all the members of the body. So here's why you can't close the church. Because the church isn't a building that you go to. It's a people that you belong to. And it not only is it a people that you belong to, but it, it's, it's something that you are a member of. I mean a member of like a limb or like an internal organ is a part of you. And in the body, every single member is critically important to the body. In the body... Every single member is critically important to the body. Now, now admit it. Physically speaking, of all the parts of our body, there, there are relatively few that we tend to fixate on day in and day out. You know, my hair or my teeth or, you know, my biceps, something like that. You know, there's just a few things that typically we look at. We don't think about much else. But the point is, there are these other tiny, obscure parts And we don't think about them day in and day out. Honestly, sometimes we don't even know what they do until we're sitting in urgent care. And then suddenly, I didn't even know I had one of those, let alone how important it was to my life. The ossicles. You know what the ossicles are? Those are the three tiniest bones in your body. But if something goes wrong with your ossicles, your life just gets miserable fast because they're in your inner ear. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to lose your hearing because these really tiny, brittle little bones are what enable you to hear things. And these itty-bitty tiny parts in your inner ear, it's what enables you to hear the world and keep your balance in the world. Now, you probably got up this morning and did not give a second thought to your ossicles. You checked your hair and a few other things, but you did not think about your ossicles. But I'll tell you what, if they stop working today, you are going to be flat on your back. The whole room is going to be spinning and you are going to be deaf as a post. In the body, every single member is critically important to the body. It's true physically. That's true to the church. Now, most of the time in the church, there's just a couple few parts that we tend to pay attention to. You know, we, we gather together as a church and say, well, how was the sermon today? Seemed a little scattered. Lost momentum at the end. How was the worship team? They were really clicking. You know, and there's just a few things we tend to notice, like when we, we look in the mirror. But the truth is, even just this morning, since early in this morning, there have been people and they're running lights and they're running sound and, and cameras and video toasters and there's people on computers that are interacting with people and there's prayer teams praying and there's reservation coordinators and there's ushers and there's, there's, there's social distancing police and there's security teams and there's facility and disinfecting. And that was all just this morning, people carrying out their part. 
And there are literally hundreds and hundreds of interacting parts every single week. And they're making videos and distributing packets for families and kids. And they're organizing Zoom calls for students. And there's virtual gathering times for small groups. And they're collecting and delivering food that's going out into the community. And they're making calls to homebound people who are sick. They're checking in on on students and paying bills and vacuuming floors and teaching classes. They're leading support groups. They're making coffee. Lots of coffee. And Paul would say, look around. Every single one of these parts is important. And if even one single one of those stops working, you're going to feel it. Because in the body, every single member is critically important to the body. Here's the second takeaway. In the body, every single member has been put there by God personally. In the body, every single member has been put there by God personally. Most of us, I mean, most all of us tend to undervalue our contribution because in comparison to someone else's, it just doesn't seem as important. I think most all of us tend to undervalue our contribution. I I, I was sitting here in the studio audience last week listening to Pastor Dennis teaching, and I was thinking, like, why can't I teach like Pastor Dennis teaches? Like, how does he do that, right? I mean, if you were here, it was amazing, right? I mean, he he just... opens his Bible, and he just talks. And like every single word, I, like even, you know, conjunctions, like he, he makes them theologically significant. He's down to earth. And I'm just like, oh, I just, you know, I just love it when he teaches. But if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If Mike should say, because I'm not Pastor Dennis, if you should say, because I am not fill in the blank, That doesn't change in any way your powerful value to the body. Verse 18 says, but in fact, God has placed the members in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So if someone is in the body, if someone is in this body, that doesn't just mean they're needed here, but it means that they are here by God's divine specific placement. By the way, if we really believe that, that every single person within the church has a specific, unique, critical role to play. And if we believe that they are in the body because God has put them here, then it seems to me if we are going to figure out what is next for us as a church, we should start looking around at the parts that God is supplying. Because the supply of parts is an important clue for the function that he is calling us to. So you see, the person that God may be bringing through the door today may be an essential piece for the ministry that we are going to begin tomorrow. So in many ways, I think you've got to look at who God's adding today to figure out what he wants us to be doing tomorrow. Final takeaway. In the body, every single member is critically important. In the body, every single member has been put there by God personally. Thirdly, in the body, every single member is deserving of respectability or honor. Now, Meninius Agrippa told a story like this to remind the lower members not to forget how essential the honored members are and to keep doing whatever it takes for them to be cared for. Paul the Apostle told the story to remind the entire body that, in fact, the greatest obligation is towards those who seem to be weaker, typically less honored. Verse 22, it is those parts of the body that seems to be weaker that are indispensable. It is those parts we think less honorable that we treat with special honor. It is those parts that are unpresentable that are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts, they need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that its members should have equal concern for each other. And then look at your Bible there. Paul finishes it with this practical takeaway. And if this is all really true among us, this isn't just a silly children's fable about ears and eyes and feet and hands, but if this is all really true, there should be no divisions in the body. The members should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 
This is what it means that we as the church are the body. A vitally interconnected, collectively functioning people of faith who are so mutually necessary to one another that to think of being separated would feel more like an amputation than a parting of ways. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. So how much longer, they ask me, until they're going to allow us to get back to church? What are you talking about? There's absolutely nothing that is stopping you and I from being the church right now this minute. I mean, if you care enough to actually do it, I know for a fact that there are people who are suffering right now in the body. And the call of the Bible is to suffer with them. There are those who are sick. There are those who are just financially devastated. There are those who are at an emotional breaking point. There are those who are spiritually discouraged. And we should, we should be feeling that, empathizing, pouring into that with it. There are parts that are rejoicing in the body right now. Brian and Laura Lee slept at home last night for the very first time with their brand new, beautiful baby girl, Elizabeth Joy. We should be rejoicing with them because they are a part. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body and individually members of it. So here's, here's the practical encouragement that I would like to give you this morning, especially for those of you that are engaging and aren't here physically. How do you be the church in a time like this? How, how do you express this in a time like this? I, I think you can still do it if you're willing to make an investment. For instance, if you're watching, and whether you're on our YouTube channel or our Facebook page, there is listed all kinds of people who have concerns in their life because they've been putting prayer requests in during this time. And you could do something about that. And you could just let it go and just think about how the message was and whether or not you like the worship and, and call it a day and click off. Or you could say, but wait a minute, I'm actually connected to these people. And you could decide to take a next step. You could just decide to pray for them and to say, well, actually, I'm not just going to leave it for the prayer team. I'm actually going to pray for them. Or you could actually, you could click on and tell them you're praying for them. If you're, you're connected to them on, on Facebook or your profile, you could actually reach out to them. And, and you could say, hey, I'm praying for that. Thank you for sharing that with us today. You might even go one step further. You might say, hey, can I help you in some way? Like Preston and Chloe were talking, do you need food? Do you need someone to give you a ride? Do you need someone to call you up and pray with you? How can I resonate with you and what's going through in your life? Because we are connected to one another. The only question of whether or not the church is closed is whether or not we're closing ourselves because nothing is stopping us from being connected to one another. And that includes even those of us who may be in our homes. Do what you can to connect and to resonate and to express value to every part, even those parts that might not normally be honored as highly. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that not only are we one with you, but through that we are one inseparably with one another, especially during this time when there's so much physical distance. Help us to show the spiritual unity that we are inseparably linked to you, to one another, that we share in Christ and in his spirit. And we do this in good times and we do this in hard times alike. Allow us to display what it looks like to inseparably be your church, the body of Christ, the manifest expression of Jesus here on planet earth, even in the midst of these troubled times. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, Pastor Mike, for that encouraging message. One thing that resonated really well with me is when he said that we share Christ. And not only do we share Christ, but we are all a part of the body of Christ, and we each have our part. So what is my part? What is your part? And more than that, how can we grow in our parts, and how can we encourage other people to grow in their parts of the body of Christ? 
Pastor Mike mentioned the prayer request, and that's a great way to do it. And as we're talking about that, we're going to come back in a moment and pray for those prayer requests specifically. So if you have any that you would like us to go over, go ahead and put those in the comment box now, whether you're joining us on Facebook or on YouTube. Just comment on those. And we have a prayer team praying live right now. We're with you in this, whether it's something you're struggling with or something you want to celebrate as a community. We're here for you for that. We're going to jump back to the worship team and Pastor Mike in just a second. But we want to take a quick moment to thank you. Thank you so much for your generosity during this time. Now more than ever, we need faithful givers like you guys. And you have been a vital part in keeping our ministries running during these crazy, crazy times. And we just want to thank you for that. If giving is something that God is laying on your heart, we have a couple of ways to do that at this point. One, you can go on our website, www.bbcphx.org. At the very top, there's a button that says give. You can just click on that and it'll walk you through the process. It's super easy. You can do a special gift or you can set up a recurring gift, whatever God lays on your heart. Or if you feel more inclined to mail-in giving, you can do that as well. Just address it to 6060 North 7th Avenue, Phoenix, Arizona, 85013. And you can mail that in. Our front office will take care of it. But thank you so much. You've sacrificed so much during this time. We could not do it without you. We're going to jump over to the worship team for a second. And then we're going to jump into those prayer requests. So hang in with us. jealous and he is jealous for me loves like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. Then I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And oh, now he loves us so. And oh, how he loves us. And how his 
his portion and he is our prize. We're drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. We sing this loud. And so heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss in my heart. It turns violently inside of my chest. And I don't have time to make Davy's regrets when I think about the way. Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. Yes, he loves us. Yeah. Thank you again for being a part of this online, live, One Bethany worship gathering. I hope you've been encouraged today, and I hope as this week goes on, you, you'll continue to, to take opportunities. Uh, parents, gather your kids together. Take, take advantage of the rock at home and those resources that will empower you to make a spiritual difference in the lives of, of your kids. Um, there's gatherings for students, men. There's the back porch uh, that happens on Wednesday. Thursday, I hope that you'll join me for Refuel, our midweek spiritual power-up at 7 o'clock on Facebook Live. But take opportunities in your small groups, in your enrichment class, however it is, to stay connected as the body during this time. The church is more than a -a once-a-week gathering. It is a people that we belong to. We need to continue to gather together every way that we possibly can. Hey, throughout this uh, hour time, as your prayer requests have been coming in, I want you to have confidence that our prayer team has been praying over them, and that's going to continue throughout the week. And we want to finish our time here as well. And I want to ask you to join join with me. And from wherever you are, it's just I pray over some of the, some of the requests that have come in during this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for hearing, answering our prayers as we pray, and that you are not too busy to listen. You are not uh, too mindful of great things to care. You are able to hear and to act on behalf of those requests that we bring before you. So this is a moment of faith that we believe you, our Father, the God of the universe, are actually listening to these specific prayers and that you will move as a result of our heartfelt expressions of faith towards you. And so, Lord, you know that we're suffering and you know that we're rejoicing as a body today. Betty Owens passed away this week, and and so that brings grieving to our body. So we don't pray for her, for we know that she is in your presence, but we do pray for those that are left behind and this great loss. And yet at the same time in these last few days, we have welcomed in this new life of Elizabeth Joy, and we rejoice together with Brian and Laura Lee, and just God pray that just their joy be made full, and we rejoice together with them. Thank you. You are the giver of new life, this precious child. And we thank you that you've brought her safely into the world. Thank you for continuing to heal Pete Jacobson and that he continues to grow stronger. And Lord, you, you have brought him back 
from the brink, and for that we give you praise and ask if you continue to strengthen him, cause him to be more healthy. We pray for Jan as well, that you would strengthen she and the family during this time. We rejoice with Julie. Her two grandsons accepted Christ. Heavenly Father, with the angels of heaven, we rejoice at this new spiritual life and ask that they are, their spiritual roots would sink deep and that you would cause them to grow up strong into men who will be world changers for Jesus Christ. We thank you for Micah McDermott. He's doing so much better. That I remember last week we were praying for him, and we, but he's getting better now, and he's going back as far as classes and work, and so thank you for that. Lord, I, I pray for my Kim. She's got strep throat and just found out from the doctor. Pray that you would touch her body and strengthen her and make her well. Um, we, we pray for the Hargrove family. They've lost a family member to COVID. It is a reminder that this is real and sometimes this hits close. And so I, I pray that you would be strengthening their family, encouraging them in this time of great loss. Lord, we pray for Linda. Five weeks, no answers with just this whatever it is that she's struggling with medically. And Lord, I know how this can be, that it is the physical pain and suffering, but the uncertainty of not knowing can sometimes even loom heavier. God, I pray that she would have answers soon and that you as the great physician, the great healer would touch her body, you would give peace to her mind and that you would prove once again that you care for her, your daughter, and that she would have a story to tell about how you brought relief and healing and peace to her body and her mind again. Lord, along with Tina, we're praying for the teachers and all the uncertainty about what this next year is going to bring. We pray for the parents and all the uncertainty they are feeling. There's so many people that are waiting to see what's going to unfold. God, the peace that passes all understanding, I pray that not only would you pour it into their life, but that you would pray it and that you would pour it into the schools and into the community. This angst, this worry, this fear, this division would be defeated and the peace of your spirit would reign. I pray for these children that in this pivotal time, this would not become a hindrance, whether to their learning or their maturation, but God, somehow supernaturally you'd work in this time. For all of our first responders, for our hospital workers, for our police and fire and those who are on the front lines, God, I pray that you would keep them safe during this time, that they're exposed. Pray for their family as well. God, would you rule and reign? These look like days of trouble to us, but these are days of opportunity for you to show that you are God, and if we will be still and simply recognize it, it is true, and you will be glorified, and you will be magnified among the nations, and we declare this to be so. We take you at your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us. Look forward to seeing you back at least next Sunday at 10 o'clock for our One Bethany Live celebration on Facebook, on YouTube, even on our website. But connect with somebody. Be the body between now and then. I'll see you again real soon.